Hey, welcome to the Church Home Podcast with Judah Smith. Uh, That's me, Judah. I am so excited to share this message about Jesus and his love for you. I really hope it's a personal encouragement to you. Hey, let us know if we can serve you at churchhome.org. Join us on Pastor Chat uh, on the app. We want to make sure that you are cared for and loved. Without any further delay, let's jump in. Here's the message. Hey church, happy December. I love this month. And uh, listen, prepare yourself. I'm gonna say that all month long. I'm gonna say things like, this is my most favorite season. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I love the lights. I love the traditions. I love the nostalgia. Uh, Listen, I love Santa Claus. Okay, so there it is. All right, I am the preacher in your life that loves Santa. And uh, the whole thing. I just love the Christmas season. And I'm also really excited. We're going to start a brand new collection of sermons uh, around this idea of what do you want? What an interesting question during the Christmas season where probably your loved ones and friends and roommates and teammates and classmates are probably asking, hey, what do you want for Christmas? Like if I was going to get you a gift, what would you want? Mom, if you're watching, you know I love you, but um, I'm going to tell everyone the truth, okay? Christmas time with my mom is basically, would you please go buy what you want, and then I will repay you for what you purchased. So that's kind of a little bit of how we do it uh, in our family with my mom. Uh, But hey, I shouldn't be complaining. I'm 44 years old and my mom is still buying me Christmas gifts. I think that's really the moral of the story. Mom, you are so generous. I love you. Merry Christmas. And by the way, my mom is a December baby. It is uh, her birthday is December 7th. So uh, mom just celebrated her birthday and I love you so much. What do you want? No, seriously, when I ask you that question, what do you want? What comes to mind? Car, jewelry, stuff, promotion, job, friends, spouse. What do you want? Now, hopefully when I say, what do you want? And you're married, you don't want a different spouse. That that would be complicated. Uh, But what do you want? And I suppose what I'm asking is not what do you temporarily want, or even what do you want this season, or what do you want for Christmas, but what do you want in life? What do you actually want? Recently, one of my favorite prayers is, God, you actually know what I want more than I know what you want or more than I know what I want. I'm already getting confused, you know? But seriously, I have been praying this prayer. God, you know what I want more than I know what I want. So keep me from what I think I want and prepare me for what I really want. And in a way, that's my prayer for our church, for our community, for you personally, that you wouldn't settle for what you think you want, what you want right now, but that in life, you would truly realize what you actually want. Now, as we start this collection of sermons, I want to tell you my conclusion. Chelsea and I have talked a lot about this. We have been using this probing question to create robust conversations for date night and that sort of thing. And we try to go on a walk pretty regularly and we'll talk during the walk. What do you really want? And I've discovered that what I really want in life is connection. That's what is most fulfilling. When I feel connected to God, when I feel connected to my wife, when I feel connected to my children, 
when I feel connected to my friends and my community. That's fulfillment. That's the ultimate meaning of life to me. So I want to ask you again, what do you want? Now, part one of this collection of sermons, we're going to talk today about the dilemma around what you want. What is the dilemma? Now, part of the dilemma I've already kind of introduced you to, and hopefully you uh, can tend to agree that oftentimes what we think we want is actually not what we really want. Now, I was a youth pastor for 10 years, bear with me, but oftentimes when young people are pursuing that special someone they're going to spend the rest of their life with, the partner for life, oftentimes I say, and this is a little crude, but number two comes often right before number one, which is to say the person that's kind of what that person wants, mostly what that person wants is kind of right in front of them. Oftentimes, not too far away before the person they really want to partner with in life. Life's interesting that way. You always seem to be presented with what you want or what you think you want, or maybe this is what I want, and is this what I really want? But man, one of the things I love about God is unanswered prayers. I have prayed so many prayers around what I was sure I wanted. God, this is what I want. And it's so funny, you look back on all those prayers. And one of my favorite things to do, you've heard me say this before, is to say to God, thank you so much for not answering those vehement, passionate, emotional prayers as I poured out my heart to you and said, this is what I want. And then you look back and you think, man, that is not what I wanted. And God, in his graciousness, found a way to deliver to me what I really want in life. One of the teachings in the New Testament tell us that God actually desires. He's a good father, and he wants to give you the true desires of your heart. But here's the dilemma, right? It's trying to decipher and determine what you really want. And that brings us to a passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 7. And it's here that Paul, the writer of this letter to the church in Rome, describes this this dilemma, if you will, around what you want. Listen to this. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. I'm a mystery to myself, Paul says, for I want to do what is right, but end up doing what my moral instincts condemn. If my behavior is not in line with my desire, my conscience still confirms the excellence of the law. And now I realize that It is no longer my true self doing this, but the unwelcome intruder of sin in my humanity. Now, that's pretty dense and complex, but but stay with me now. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good lives within the flesh of my fallen humanity. The longings to do what is right are within me. This is what I want to do. The willpower is not enough to to accomplish it. Verse 19, "My, my lofty desires to do what is good, are dashed when I do the things I want to avoid. So if my behavior contradicts my desires to do good, I must conclude that it's not my true identity doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin hindering me from being who I really am. Being who I really am. I can tell you this much. What you want in life is somewhere around 
being who you really are. I mean, ultimately, that's what we want. When I say connection, it's because who I really am is a relational being. I'm a connected person. I want to feel connected to people, connected to God's plan. You know, be who, who I really am. Verse, thir- uh, verse 21 says, through my experience of this principle, I discover that even when I want to do good, evil is ready to sabotage me. Truly, deep within my true identity, I love to do what pleases God. And now we're digging into this dilemma. What you really want, ultimately, is to please the one who gave you lips, hips, fingertips, and oxygen to breathe, right? What you really want to do, if there is a God who doesn't want to please him, experience him, enjoy him, and frankly, figure out what this is all about. Again, Paul says, truly, deep within my true identity, I love to do what pleases a God. Verse 23, but I discern another power operating in my humanity, waging war against the moral principles of my conscience and bringing me into captivity as a prisoner to the law of sin, this unwelcome intruder in my humanity. So here we go. Last two verses. Paul says, what an agonizing situation I'm in. So who has the power to rescue this miserable man from the unwelcome intruder of sin and death? Have you ever been there? Maybe you're not even sure what you believe about Scripture, believe about Jesus, believe about God, believe about any of this, but have you ever been in an agonizing situation where you recognize what you want to do, you are not doing, and what you say you're done doing, you end up doing. That sounds like what's just coming around the corner, January 1, called New Year's resolutions. The stats are staggering in this country how many people last even but a few days with their determined willpower to do what they say they really want to do in life. Very few people follow through. In fact, it's the outliers, it's our heroes, it's our sports heroes, entertainment heroes, political heroes, public heroes who, who actually follow through on what they do and they write books and they do you know, public statements and interviews and things and teach us how to do it because the vast majority of us are not outliers. We are not freak athletes who have incredible willpower. We don't climb Mount Everest. We can barely climb out of bed in the morning to do what we actually want to do. Have you ever been in that agonizing situation? If you have, this sermon is for you. And frankly, these collection of talks are for you. And here's the conclusion of the matter. Paul says, I give all my thanks to God for his mighty power has finally provided a way through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. So if left to myself, the flesh is aligned with the law of sin. But now my renewed Mind, my renewed understanding of who Jesus is, is fixed on him and submitted to God's righteous principles. Isn't that amazing? Here's what I want to do. For the next few minutes, I want to show you a four-part progression. And I want to show you the antidote. I want to show you the answer. I want to show you through verses 24 and 25 of Romans chapter 7. I want to show you a progression that you can participate in. I want to show you a process that you can participate in that will actually 
Every time you find yourself in this agonizing dilemma, again, what's the agonizing dilemma? What I want to do, I don't do. What I say I'll never do again, I end up doing that. Now, if you can't relate with that, you are Pinocchio, you have strings, and you're not human, right? For the rest of us, of course we can. How many times? It would be impossible to count how many times in this life I have told myself and I have set out on an ordinary Monday or a wonderful Wednesday, I have set out like, okay, today I'm going to stop. All right, here's true confessions. I have this um, candy company that I'm in love with. And if you know, you know, and I'm not going to say the title, but they do send me a box every month. And it's limited sugar candy. Okay, we'll just call it that um, since this isn't a commercial for companies. Um, I am eating multiple bags of that limited sugar candy every single day. In fact, it started right around COVID. So it's been approximately three years. And do you know how many times I have told myself, I'm not going to eat that candy anymore. I am done. I'm not doing it. And then that very night, because that's when I really start to snack, um, when I'm watching SportsCenter or I'm watching Golf Channel, and all of a sudden I'm like, just I'm going to have the watermelon. I'm just going to have the gummy bears. I'm going to have the Swedish fish. Swedish fish, are you kidding me? I love you. If you're out there, Swedish Fish, and you're watching, I love all of you very, very much. But come on, we've all been there. And of course, when I say candy, that's the littlest, lightest thing that we say we'll stop doing but keep doing. There are far more detrimental and selfish and self-serving things that I struggle with in my life. And yet how many times I have mustered again my willpower, my determination, my deliberation to prepare to never do it again. In fact, I've discovered something really humiliating. The more I fixate on something I'm never going to do, it seems I'm more likely to do it. What is this? This is the dilemma around what you really want in life. What do you really want? You know, I have done more weddings than I could actually count. Now, I probably could count. It's probably 70 or something, which is funny. The moment I said that, I was like, well, it's Probably not 100. Maybe it's 100 by now. I've been doing this a while. But you know, we oftentimes meet with the couple before the wedding. Do you know I've never sat with a couple who said, you know, what we want to do is have a marriage that's stressful. You know, what we want to do is have a marriage that's uh, distracted. You know, Judah, what, before the wedding this weekend, we just wanted to tell you that, that, that what we want is, is we want to hurt each other by loving other people and messing around with other people. And that, that's, that's kind of the life we want. We want years and years and years of pain, selfishness, and self-serving. That's why we're getting married. No one's ever said that. And yet, how many marriage stories unfold just like that? Again, what we really want in life, we say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not only aspire to it, I'm going to obtain it. And yet oftentimes, we fall so short. So what's the answer? What's the antidote? What's the solution? What's the process? What's the progression? This is when I get so excited. I know it's Christmas, but this is more than a Christmas message. This will speak to you all year round. Here it is. Listen again to verses 24 
and 25. Paul says, what an agonizing situation I'm in. So who? Who has the power to rescue this miserable man from the unwelcome intruder of sin and death? And then he answers himself. I give all my thanks to God for his mighty power has finally provided a way out through our Lord Jesus. This is ornate language saying, thanks be to God through Jesus, I can actually realize what I really want in life. You know what every couple has told me in all the weddings and all the conversations I've had with aspiring couples, they've all said, we want that love story. We want that made for the movies kind of love story and romance. We want to be in love every day. We want to wait. We want to have sex every night. It's going to be the best. It's going to be like we want one unending honeymoon. And yet, it seems in life how very few people ever actually experienced that. Paul says, what am I going to do with this agony? I give thanks to God because he has mighty power that he's revealed through Jesus, the anointed one. So if left to myself, the flesh is aligned with the law of sin and I'm in that dilemma again. But now my renewed perspective, my understanding of Jesus has caused me to be fixed and yielded to God's righteous principles. So here's the four-part progression. And I am so excited because I actually believe this can work in your life. What I'm about to describe to you, here's what I would prescribe to you. The next time you find yourself in that agonizing dilemma, that agonizing in-between stage where you're like, okay, what I want to do, I'm currently not doing. And what I say I'm never going to do, that's what I keep doing. Now, for me, it could be an anger problem on the golf course, right? I always tell myself, today, I'm not going to get angry. Now, as long as I play good, I'm an angel, right? But the moment mistakes start to happen, make bogeys on the golf course, I get angry, frustrated, want to throw clubs, and in some cases, break clubs. I get done with the round, have to apologize to my friends, apologize to new friends, old friends, and frankly, it's humiliating. So in whatever context, you find yourself not doing what you really want in life. Insert this prescription. Insert this progression. Notice what Paul says in verse 24. Here is the first step in the progression. He says, what an agonizing situation I'm in and who has the power to rescue this miserable man. We've talked about this before, did a message about the secret sauce, and we described the secret sauce of life as desperation. So that's where our progression begins today. Do you find yourself not doing what you really want, not getting what you really want out of life? You know what you and I need to start by admitting? We're miserable. My middle name's Nightmare. I, 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 I am not capable within myself. Even the great giants of industry, athletics, and entertainment in this country and around the world, oftentimes they aspire and obtain such high heights of productivity, high heights of achievement, and yet oftentimes those same people are riddled with personal fractures and failures in their private life. So even our legends, even our heroes, even those we make statues of, fall prey to this as well. So where does it start? 
admitting the truth. I'm miserable. Admitting the truth. This is an agonizing situation and I can't get myself out. I, by definition, am desperate. I'm desperate. I was in a phone call with a friend this morning. We were saying a prayer for each other and for our day and we admitted again, we're desperate. Every single day you wake up desperate. Every, I don't know about you, but every single day I wake up and think, without the help of the divine, I am doomed to hurt the people I love the most. Doomed to do the very thing I have taught others not to do. That's what kind of stinks about being a preacher, is you end up teaching and preaching everybody, you know, what to do. And then it's humiliating when you can't even live by the own sermon, your own sermons that you preach. Why? Because I'm a miserable man when left to myself. And that's where the progression begins. First is, okay, I am desperate and I am miserable and I, and I am in need of divine intervention. And that's where the progression begins. That place of, God, I can't do this without you. I'm, I'm not going to get out of life what I want without you. I need you. And that's the second part of the progression. He says, so I give all my thanks to God for his mighty power has finally provided a way out. So progression, step one, desperation. Step two, give all your thanks to God because through Jesus, he has made a way out of this agonizing dilemma. So now you can actually experience what you really want from life. Give thanks. In all things, give thanks. In all different settings, situations, on a Monday, on a Wednesday, on a Friday, on a Sunday, give thanks. Give thanks for big things. Give thanks for little things. Give thanks for unseen things. Give thanks for the public things. Give thanks for your weakness. Give thanks for his strength. Give thanks for your talents. Give thanks for those things that you lack. Give thanks. One of my favorite things to do is to give thanks around nature. I've told you this before. I love giving thanks for the trees. I love giving thanks for the green grass. The Pacific Northwest in the United States of America, we have the most beautiful vegetation, forestry, green grass, because it rains so much. But truly, I love giving thanks for the trees and the hills and the lakes and the rivers and my favorite bird, the hummingbird. Every time I see a hummingbird, it's so easy just to practice. God, thank you for that little helicopter bird that seems to just hover suspended in air. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Gratitude, thankfulness, all I'm talking about is worship. That's what thankfulness is. Give all your worship to him. I'm desperate, so I give all my thanks to God. There's two more parts of this progression, and then we'll conclude. This is the antidote to the dilemma you and I find ourselves in. Paul says in verse 25, verse 25, I give all my thanks to God for his mighty power has finally provided a way out. So if left to myself, the flesh is aligned with the law of sin. But now my renewed mind is fixed and submitted to God's righteous principles. Here's what happens. We're desperate. 
We give thanks. And I'm telling you, what you worship and what you give thanks for, you begin to get eyes for it. You begin to see it everywhere. It's a lot like when you get a car, right? And when you get a car, like you get a Toyota, you'll see Toyotas everywhere. It's unbelievable. You get a Honda, you'll see Hondas everywhere. You get a Chevy, you're going to see Chevys everywhere. It's just, it's a weird thing. And I don't know about you, but I still at 44, like my, the, the, the kind of car I have, I see somebody else with that car, it's kind of like, hey, how are you, right? And you just tend to see it. You get a blue car, red car, white car, black car. You see, you know, white cars, black cars, red cars, blue cars everywhere because now you have eyes for it. I'm telling you, when you realize how desperate you are, you start to give thanks in all the different ways for God, then you get fixated. Notice Paul says, I have, I, 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 my renewed mind is fixed on. Practice fixation. And what I mean by that, of course, is practice being fixated on God. And the way to do that is recognize how desperate you are, give thanks, and then you just start focusing and you start seeing and you start observing and you see his beauty and his majesty and his wonder in the little things and the big things and the small things and the unseen and the seen. It's incredible. Now I'll tell you, when you get fixed on God, the last thing is very simple. Then you let go. Then you let go. You realize you're desperate. You start to give thanks. I give all my thanks to God, Paul says. And now my renewed mind is fixed on Jesus, and I have submitted myself to him. I really believe that Paul is writing the antidote to this dilemma. I'm desperate. I give thanks to you. My focus is now fixed. I see you everywhere. And what it produces in me is a yielded life. Okay, God, I trust you. Man plans his way, the scripture says, but God directs his steps. And so you live this open-handed, open-hearted life, trusting God with the adventure and journey of every given day. What I love about God is he created days, days and nights, so there would be an end to the day. So life wouldn't just drone on and on and on, but there'd be nighttime where you switch off, turn off, go to sleep, and you wake up to what? New beginnings, new opportunities, new adventures. And in that yielded place, I'm telling you, you may very well walk right into what you truly wanted in life. It's kind of a cool concept, right? It's the Christmas season. And I guess in a way, maybe this December, you can start to realize what you really want in life. Hey, don't settle for second best. Don't settle for a cheap substitute. Don't settle for anything less than what you really want in life. And I am divinely persuaded that there is one person in the universe that truly knows what this guy actually wants, and it's not me. I am miserable and desperate, but that produces a thanksgiving and a gratitude, which helps me see Jesus everywhere and yield to his plan and his purpose for my life. You know, maybe that sounds like a good sermon and sounds like a good progression, but I want you to know, this is in so many ways what has changed my life. I never felt this close to Jesus in my whole life. 
I've never seen such results in my brain and body just by walking out that simple progression. And you know, you may not remember the exact words that I'm speaking of, but I trust that the spirit of Jesus that is upon me and around me is upon you and he's around you. And he'll guide you and he'll lead you. And I believe even as we progress further into this topic of what do you want, that in your lifetime, by the way, it's never too late, and it's never too early to begin to realize what you really want in life. And lastly, and I'm not sure why I'm saying this, but you know, oftentimes we end up knowing what we really want because so often we've settled for what we thought we wanted. And it's left us empty and hollow, angry and frustrated. So don't get caught up. Maybe you're watching this and going, I, I ruined it 10 years of my life, 20 years of my life. I thought that's what I wanted. It's not what I wanted. Well, God works all things together for good because he loves you. He's gonna work this together for good. And there's no better time than right today, the beginning of December, to begin to realize in your daily life what you actually truly want. Jesus, he's the antidote and the answer to the dilemma. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much. Your, um, your storybook is alive. As sure as you are alive, your words are life. And they help us make sense of complex, challenging, and painful dilemmas we find ourselves in. Thank you. Thank you that we can have confidence that you know what we actually, truly want in life. If you're watching this episode and you would like to receive the free gift of forgiveness, the Bible calls it salvation. If you want to be saved from a life of trying to save yourself and trust Jesus, that's all it takes is one moment of trust. It's probably already happened. You probably don't need my direction. But one of my favorite things to do is to make it more real is to ask you to do something. Maybe say, I receive Jesus. Maybe raise your hand, as silly as that might feel. Just responding externally to what you know is true and real internally. I love you, church. I'm so excited about these collection of talks, and I believe together we can live the life we only dreamed of. God is so good. See you soon.